Welcome back to Real Talk Torah, courtesy of the database with Rabbi Yoshua Eisenberg. I'm Rabbi Yoshua Eisenberg, and you just entered the database. And for today's issue, we are going to talk about Tu B'Shvat. What is Tu B'Shvat, and what is it not? Indeed, this is one of those holidays that it started off over here, and then it ended up over there. Uh, my arms are very far apart at this point. Uh, and that is because there's a lot of confusion and perhaps... Um, we can call it maybe a corruption or maybe an overtaking of what the day actually is about. On basic terms, Tu B'Shvat is Tesvav of Shvat, the 15th of Shvat. It is taking place this Thursday, starting Wednesday night officially. Happens to be my anniversary to my wife, uh, Baruch Hashem, this year five years, not for now. But um, Tu B'Shvat is also known as the Chag or the Rosh Hashanah Le'ilanot or Le'ilanus. Um It is the beginning of the year for trees, which at first glance really has only technical, legal, halachic ramifications. But over time, we, on the one hand, get to learn more and more from the different secrets of Torah about what a day on a calendar might be about. And on the other hand, sometimes culture, maybe even a little bit of politics, um, also takes over and we lose a little bit of sight of what the day is about, and sometimes things get lost in transmission, or in this case, things get um, corrupted and decorated and embellished in tradition. So we're going to talk about all of that. But before we do, I actually want to do something that I don't normally do, but this is my show and I'm going to do it. Um, I want to actually jump back really quickly just to make a point on the previous Real Talk Torah about Parshas Haman, um, the only thing I wanted to mention was that I suggested a theory as to why we would specifically recite Parshas Haman on Tuesdays, and I suggested a theory based on the Chassam Sofer, who, who suggests, based on sources that he brings down, that the first day that the Mun fell was um, three days after the Bnei Israel. Um, complained that they needed food, which was on Shabbos, which was on Tesvav Er in, in the Chumash. It's very clear about that, um, that, that that was when they complained, at least. So the Chassam Sofer says that it wasn't until three days later, which was Yud Ches Er, which was Lag Ba'omer, um, that, um, that, uh, that the, the Mun fell for the first time. And that happened to be a Tuesday. So the only thing I wanted to point out is that um, according to Rashi, Ibn Ezra, Rabbein Abachia, Tari Tamima, there are, um, there's a whole school of, of uh, Mepharshim that suggest that the time that the Mun actually fell was on Sunday, which was the 16th, not the 18th of ER. Now, that would obviously um, you know, um, not work with the theory that I suggested. I just wanted to know for academic integrity um, and just for the purposes of MS, that there are Mepharshim that say that the Mun fell on Sunday, which would make Tuesday an enigma for Parshas Haman, but my theory does work for the Chassam Sofer. If you want the tshuva where the Chassam Sofer talks about this, so you can have the actual source, I can send that to you. All you have to do is reach out to me at thedatabase at gmail.com, the data, then base, B-E-I-S. And that is also where you can reach out to me if you want to do what Yona and Chani Laster did and to do what Yaakov and Yaffa Landau did, which is to offer a sponsorship. You can go as far as they did and offer a nice, beautiful, generous sponsorship, or you can do something even more basic, which is still thoughtful 
um, and you can make any dedication you want, $18 from Meister, um, you know, even if less, uh, you know, we'll, we'll take your money. Uh, but the point is for Harbatzas Torah, so anything you can do would be great and appreciated. Okay, now let's get into a little bit of Tubishvat. So, as we said, it is the Rosh Hashanah of the trees, and the basic, basic understanding um, is that it is a legal cutoff point, mainly for fruit tithes, um, or for miser, from fruits, but there, you know, there are other aspects to it. Um, the, the, the three main halachos that um, that Tubishvat pertains to is Arla, Netaravai, and Meiser Shani. So the Meiser aspect, of my, um, in a certain respect, might still be relevant today. Arla happens to still be relevant today. Fruit of the third year, when a, when a fruit ripens in the third, uh, um, so the third year from its ripening, so that fruit is forbidden. And the question is, if it ripened before Tubishvat, then that obviously goes to the the previous year, whereas if it ripens um, after Tubishvat, then that obviously goes to the next year, and that's the same thing with Meiser. Um, so it's a legal cutoff point, and at first glance, the question is then, well, why should the day be festive, right? Um, um, some people may have heard, uh, some of the listeners may have heard of the Tubishvat Seder that a lot of um, you know, that's become very prevalent nowadays in many circles, but originally um, finds its origins in Hasidus, maybe a little bit of um, Kabbalistic sources. The question is how early those sources are, but the question is why would you go further than that? And of course, there is something else to be said about, again, the culture that may have overtaken a little bit of Tu Is Tu really just another... You know, go green, Jewish Arbor Day. You know, Ecology Awareness Day. Right? Is, is is that what it's about? It's um, a tree hugging day. We we love trees. All right. So, what like is is that a mistake? Is that is that not what Tuba Shabbat is about? So, first glance, it's um, certainly at least not in its origins. It's not what it's about. The question is, um, is is that something that we should be concerned about? And I think in general we should, but um, I'll, I'll phrase the question in another way. We have festive um, understanding of Tu and in fact, on Tu we don't recite Tachanun, which is usually a tell-all sign that this is a very happy day, and there are aspects of Yom Tov, in fact, the Mincha before Tu right? So Wednesday's Mincha, so... Um, by the time you're listening to this, it's probably Wednesday already, unless you're listening to it as soon as I upload it. Um, the truth is I may upload it on Wednesday morning anyway, so it'll have to be Wednesday that you're hearing this for the first time if you're listening to it as soon as it's uploaded. Um, but if you're, if you're uploading it, so Wednesday, Mincha, Tachanun, there won't be a Tachanun. Right, this is when um, you, know, you get to play a fun game of, of Simon Says when it comes to Tachanun. I do this with my brothers. Um, had um, it's 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 it, you, you look around and you see who who sits down to to do tachanun on mincha because they forgot that there's a yom tov coming up, and so uh, whoever sits down for tachanun is out. Um, but uh, obviously you have to do it in a way that you're not going to hurt anyone's feelings and embarrass anyone because that's a big big avera. But um, um, but it's uh, just it's just a funny chap, funny shtick because that's what my brothers and I do. We're pretty shticky like that. But anyway, there are aspects of yom tov when it comes to to b'shvat. So there seems to be something more to it that that we treat it with a certain um, certain um, level of 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 esteem, 
So what's so festive about it, right? And we have, well, apparently, as we'll see, there's some Kabbalistic secrets revealed about Tu B'Shvat. And if that's the case, so then what, um, you know, so what is um, the festive nature of Tu B'Shvat? And why, if it really is just a legal holiday, uh, not a legal holiday, sorry, a legal cutoff point, and we're making it into a special holiday, so why don't we find that we do the same thing on the Rosh Hashanah for, for a behemoth? Right, the, the the mission on Rosh Hashanah, which talks about the different heads of the year, the different beginnings of the year. So Tu B'Shvat's one of them, but there is also you know, and Tu B'Shvat's the the Rosh Hashanah for trees. But there's also Rosh Hashanah for domesticated animals, and this has legal ramifications in terms of Meiser Behema, the tithe of, of domesticated animals. Now, um, there is we'll call it a sect out there that has tried to bring more awareness to Rosh Hashanah for Behema. Um, and it might, you know, if, if you consider what culture has done to Tu you can imagine what culture has done to the Rosh Hashanah for animals. And maybe we'll come back to that. But a good and fair question to ask is if there really is a special aspect to Tu then why haven't the students and scholars of Hasidus unveiled the Kabbalistic secrets of the Rosh Hashanah for animals? Right, we 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 don't, we don't find at least I, I haven't seen I haven't heard um, until you know until recently about um, about this other sect that um, pays a lot of attention to this special day on the calendar, making it special when otherwise it was just legal. So we haven't heard much about it, and certainly not in, in any any Sifrei Hasidus. So why why doesn't that exist for the special day for the Rosh Hashanah for animals? which um, is, uh, again, this does exist on the Jewish calendar. So let's try to discuss a little bit of this. Also, another question, you know, going back to the Hasidus aspect, um, there's, a, um, there's a, apparently a Kabbalah from certain um, Rabbanim, at least the Bnei Sashar, the Bnei Shchai, and these Rabbanim were talking about Rabbanim from Hasidus, that there's a special time, um, that two bishvats a special time to pray for an Esrog. So what's the, what, to pray, you want to have a beautiful, nice Esrog. So what makes um, Tu B'Shvat the day for that? So we'll try to make some time for all of this. We'll try to get to every little thing here. So let's talk about it. So in terms of, you know, it being the Jewish Arbor Day, so certainly I, I wouldn't say that there's anything wrong with recycling and, and, you know, caring about the environment and doing things for the environment, you know, trying to keep the place and the world healthy. Um, and maybe the concept of tikkun olam is something that that we might have to reserve for another real talk Torah, uh, because tikkun olam is a great other example. Literally means rectification of the world. Um, but this um, definitely is another phrase that gets thrown around a lot, and especially depending on what sect you're in. And we and it's um, it's a phrase that maybe has been impacted by culture and might not mean what a lot of people think it means. And we'll have to talk about that maybe on a different um, episode. Um, but related to that, you know, there's certainly nothing wrong, but the question is where do we allocate our time and, and, and our spiritual energy and our focus in terms of working on ourselves and working on our midos and working on other things we're supposed to work on. It could be this, um, this idea goes, goes, um, is something that belongs further, further back because there are other things that we have to focus our time on that are actually much more important. So that's something to think about. Um, and this is one of those areas where you have to determine for yourself 
um, where everyone has to determine for themselves what is driving their their feeling on a certain matter or their opinion or their 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 passion is it coming from politics first and then kind of sneaking its way into the Torah or is it coming from Torah first and looking for looking for MS um, which which is obviously not governed by by politics and culture and it should not so that's one of the things that you have to think about. So let's talk about the actual, you know, some of the sources that we do find that talk about what, um, you know, Tubishvat is about. There's some sources in Kabbalah, at least, you know, attributed to maybe the Arizal or students of the Arizal, at least. And we have this concept of the Tubishvat Seder. And um, Tubishvat, which obviously focuses on trees and it focuses on fruits. So there are some who have said, at least you know, from from this from this um, um, st- this vantage point in this this area, this this realm, this prism of Torah thought, that Tubishvat is a day for a special tikkun of the Chet Eitz Hadas, right? That um, you know the the Chet that was committed by Adam Harishon when he ate from the tree. So they they say that there's um, there's what to be metakin through the eating of special fruits, especially fruits, um, you, know, you know, those dry fruits that you get in those little Ziploc bags from school, um, so the, and the buckser that no one's able to eat. Uh, so the, the, those fruits, um, there's a special tikkun through eating the fruits, making the bracha on the fruits, having certain kavanas on the fruits, and you can rectify sins from in the earliest sin um, in history. So th- there's something beautiful about that, to be able to tap into the kedusha of something that was put into the world. And this should be a time, then, that we're thinking about how to d- redevote ourselves to Hashem. Um, so th- there's what to be said about that. I mean, maybe this would also explain a little bit about uh, the minhag that some have adopted to daven for a special esrog. Um, and there, 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 there are... There are is a source out there somewhere that suggests that the Eitz Hadas was an Esrog. The Gemara talks about di- um, different sources. Was it wheat? Was it a grape? Was it a fig? Um, there might even be some addression that, that alludes to the possibility that it was actually an apple, even though in Jewish thought we, a lot of us think that that's a Christian concept, though there might actually be some basis for the fruit having been an apple. Um, um, or, but, but the point is that... There, there, there is what to be understood about the tikkun of, you know, of the Eitz and maybe even davening for an esrog. Um, if, if we're thinking about Tu B'Shvat, which is, again, the day that the, the sap begins to rise in the trees, this is where the conception of all um, birthing of trees and mitzvahs pertaining to fruit trees and, 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 and trees that ha- and fruit that come from trees, so then this would be a good time to actually think about the biggest mitzvah we do with a fruit, and that is the, the Priates Hadar, the Esrog, so that would be a beautiful time to daven for a nice Esrog. And in fact, maybe we'll take a look really quickly at the tefillah for an esrog right now. At least here's one of the tefillahs that I came across. It's a nice tefillah. We, it's a, it starts off with the, it's a, there are two Yehirat zones, one about the esrog and one about fruits in general. Um, I'll try to translate to the best of my ability. But it's a Yehirat son, Milfanech Hashem Elokeinu Vilkeavaseinu. What are we asking for? From Hashem that it should be His will. Shetavarech Kalilanos Esrog, that Hashem should bless all of the, the esrog trees. Lahotziperosain, Beitan, that they should give their fruits in the right time. They should um, produce beautiful, um, good, and beautiful. It should be, uh, um, this, these esrogim should be um, good, beautiful, 
and really beautiful and clean from any blemishes. This is another expression of the different kinds of blemishes that might appear on an esrog. Very fascinatingly, we're not actually asking that we should get a nice esrog. We're asking that everyone should get a nice esrogim, which is a really beautiful way to think about this. That we, we, we would want everyone to have a beautiful esrog that has no blemish. They should be full. They shouldn't have any piece missing from them. There should not be um, missing anything about Philo Kitas Coat. Even um, the 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 ukets, I guess, the, um, which is um, I, th- that, I believe that refers to the bottom of the esrog. Which it could be there's certain aspects of the esrog that they don't disqualify the esrog, but they just make it not as beautiful, and it's still kosher. But we want there to be no chesaron of any 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 sort, no lacking. And they should be available to Jews everywhere, wherever they are. This is, this is a really beautiful tefillah. Think about it. We, we're, we're asking for everyone else. If you want to be metaking the chet eit hadas, like what better way? You know, we're thinking about uh, fellow members of Klal Yisrael. There's no competition between us, Hashem, our friends, um, Adam, Chava. We're all, we're, we're all just unifying together. Right? Um, uh, so there's something really beautiful about this. L'kayim ba mitzvahs netila im halulav b'chagatsukos. We want to be able to make kind of mitzvah with the lulav on the chagatsukos. Shayovo alinu l'chayim tovim l'shalom. It should come to us with goodness and life and in peace and everything good. Kashet tibisana, as you commanded us with sarscha aydei Moshe avdecha through through Moshe and the Torah. L'kachtem l'chayim b'yom rishon priyets. Um, this is, these are the Pesukim and Parshas Emor that talk about the Dalminim. That Hashem should help us and, and assist us. Um, in, in the best possible way, we want Hashem to help us do the mitzvah. With 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 um, happiness and um, and good and good will, good heart. We want a beautiful esrog in all of the talachos and in every aspect of it. So that's a really beautiful first part of the tefillah. And then the second yihirasam, which is not as long, we're asking We want all trees, not just esrog. We want all trees to give bounty, you know, give, give us fruits and bounty. Um, which are fat and they're good. He should bless all of the grapevines that should produce many grapes. That are that are also thick and good. So you see, we're not actually just asking for esrog, but any fruit that is attached to a mitzvah. So yayin for kiddush and havdala. So, uh, for Shabbos and Yom Tov, that's we're, we're asking for that too. So we're praying for the grapes as well. So if you, um, so so we're just quoting a pasuk referring to uh, grapes. Basi Lagani, here's a Pasuk from Sher Shirim. Um, if you want the translation for the Pasuk, it's in Hey Aleph, Parak Hey, Pasuk Aleph. Basi Lagani, Achosi Kala, Arisi, Mori, Im Isamai, Achalti Yari, Im Dishi, Shasisi Yeni, Im Chalavi. So you can, again, if you want the whole passage, you look there, but it's a hard passage to translate. And then, of course, we want Hashem to appreciate the words of our mouths, that He should accept uh, the words of our mouths. But anyway, that's a really beautiful tefillah. 
And so, you know, if we gain nothing else, you know, we have, we have a really beautiful tefillah about the Esrog and about, about, you know, just that we want to be able to do Hashem's mitzvos. This is a beautiful tefillah, whether you are into the Kabbalistic aspect of Tuvishvat or not, but these are some wonderful things to think about. And some say that, you know, the consumption of, of, of Esrog on Tuvishvat is very holy as well and can be a part of that tikkun. Now, just one more idea specifically on Tuvishvat. Um, Rabbi Daniel Gladstein on, on Torah Anytime, who parenthetically, if anyone can confirm this, I think that he once taught in Tamima Day Camp where I went for a bunch of years when I was younger, and I th- and this part you wouldn't be able to confirm, but I think he was my Rebbe in the summer um, in the camp um, in going into sixth grade. Um, I'm wondering if he taught in Tamima Day Camp because I think he was my Rebbe. But anyway... Um, I, I don't think he would remember me, but anyway, he has um, a lot of beautiful, wonderful shiurim on Torah any time, and he has a couple of shiurim devoted to Tuvishvat where he talks about how Tuvishvat is not just you know the legal day and the Kabbalah, and the Kabbalah that goes with it, but it's actually the conception of the Geula. Uh, he says, at least according to the opinion of Rabbi Yeshua, there's a famous machlokus, Rabbi Yeshua, Rabbi Eliezer, in the Gemara. When was the world created? Was it in Tishrei? Was it in Nisan? And when is the Geula going to happen? Is that going to be in Tishrei or is that going to be in Nisan? So Rabbi Yeshua is of the opinion that it's all Nisan. I believe that's the opinion that we hold like in, ter- in terms of Bircha Sachama, making the blessing when the sun returns to its original spot at the time of creation. But we hold like Rabbi Yeshua. So if you hold like Rabbi Yeshua, so the truth is the creation of the world does not actually begin in, in Nisan or in Tishrei, but it has to begin at least five days earlier in the month before because the first day of, of Nisan or Tishrei was the day that man was created. Um, in terms of um, there's a whole discussion about Rosh Hashanah is Tishrei the time the world was created or was it the time that the world was conceived Hayom Haras Olam not for now but the point is that Rabbi Glastein points out that if it, if it goes five days earlier so if you're the if you're of the Tishrei opinion so then the world was actually created day one was Chaf Hey Elo which is my birthday or um, for the Nisan approach it was Chaf Hey Adar. And Chaf He Adar, so Rabbi Gladstein points out that whenever you have anything, um, um, any, the, the production of anything in Yiddishkeit, so usually there's a 40-day conception of whatever that, that, that reality is. And the 40, day, 40 days before Chaf He Adar is actually Tu B'Shvat. And, he said, and, and for, for the Tishrei approach, 40 days before Chaf He Elul is Tu B'Av. So on the one side of the calendar you have Tuba of, and the other side of the calendar you have the day that we're talking about, Tuba Shvat. And according to the Nisan approach, this is the conception of the Gula that's supposed to take place in Nisan. So this is a time where Tikkunim are really happening. There's an opportunity where Hashem is imagining as the sap's rising in the trees, as things are getting ready to sprout. So now where Hashem is thinking about whether or not the Gula should happen. So it's a very powerful day. Um, to Bishvat. And I definitely encourage you to go to Torah anytime and find Rabbi Gladstein's Shiurim on this topic. Um, but anyway, what, one more thing that I think is important to talk about, and that is the question that we alluded to earlier. Why haven't the students of Kabbalah divulged the secrets of the Rosh Hashanah Lebehema? Right? Um, because again, there, you know, th- there are people out there, and you know, and I, I wouldn't, you know, it, it's not the mainstream orthodox approach, I'll put it that way. And they, they, they suggest that in terms of Tubashva, it's, it's, you know, it's go green day. Um, not, not, um, yeah, like, like going green, like recycling. And no, no other cultural references are being made here. But there's that. And then 
when it comes to Meiser Behema, so this is where they, you know, they celebrate a certain degree of animal activism or animal rights activism. And this, you know, I think that there's what to talk about, at least in terms of the Torah approach to how you treat animals. And it's, uh, you know, the, and, like, this is like, this should be ABCs. And in fact, according to Rav Usher Weiss, it is ABCs in terms of how you're supposed to treat animals. According to the Torah, this is, what, this is the truth. Um, I've heard at least a sheer uh, multiple times from my Rebbe, Rav Yonason Sachs, and my other Rebbe, Rav Shalom Rosner. They both have a, they, they quote the Arichlis, the long idea from Rav Usher Weiss about the, you know, the 10 plus sources that the Gemara quotes for Tsar Bali Chaim, for example, that you're not allowed to harm an animal. And there are so many sources. The question is, why are there so many sources? Whether it's Prika unloading the animal, whether it's Bilam hitting his donkey, there, there, there's, so, you know, there's so many different sources. And Rav Asherwai says, the reason why there's so many sources is because there's really no source. And the reason why there's really no source is because this is obvious. He says there's something called Ratzon Torah. There's certain things that are obviously Ratzon Hashem, and there are things that we don't need to preoccupy our time with because it's just obvious. And... Anyone who's who's struggling in this area, you you have to be like someone who has to be brazen towards animals, like so, such an achzar, you know, the, he, like he has more problems than we can handle right now, uh, because that that should be obvious. Anyone who's an achzar to a human or to an animal, you know, that that's a terrible thing to do. So the question is, um, is there is there a, a reason to place extra focus on this? I, I you know, it is my humble opinion that. It's not the biggest focus that a, that a, that a yid should have in terms of. I mean, like, yes, if, if this is something that you struggle with, then of course you better get on that. And you better fix that because then because you, you might be a sociopath. Is it something that we should spend extra time focusing on? Should we should we should we all go vegetarian? So, you know, I, I think you know I wouldn't you know if a person wants to go vegetarian, that's that's one thing. But I don't think that's what the what the Torah is advocating that we do, especially in terms of carbonos. I'm sure that there's a, there's a lot of arguments to go back and forth. The Rav Cook's opinion on this, um, but even so, the you know we, our focus should certainly mostly be on how we treat other humans and our midos, and a lot of this I would say is is distracted from when we focus on these ulterior, extraneous, um, extracurricular stuff. And I would say that this is one of those things. And the problem is a lot of these things often seem like they at least have a nature of political charge to them, though this is not to suggest that there isn't any ounce of lishma that comes to it and a genuine caring for creatures. But you have to be careful because... You know, the question is, well, where are you starting from? Are you starting from your politics or are you starting from Torah? I'll tell you that in terms of the Kabbalistic secrets, so are there Kabbalistic secrets about the Rosh Hashanah for domesticated animals? So it's very possible that they are, but the students of Kabbalah and Chastidus have not divulged them, and the question is, why not? And I think it's important to recognize that what is the Rosh Hashanah for Behemoth? for domesticated animals, happens to be Rosh Chodesh Elul, the first day of Elul. Now, I don't know if you, if you ask me, I would say that Elul is a very packed month in terms of things that we are focusing on, the Cheshban and Nefesh, the calculation of our souls, the reckoning of our souls. What should we be working on? Our Midos, Tshuva, the Yom Noraim Arapanas. And it could be that the masters of Kabbalah and the students of Kabbalah understood that there was 
no need per se to pull anything out of the Rosh Hashanah for Behemos when there was so much we have to work on in terms of our Bein Adam Lachavero, forget Bein Adam Lebehemto, um, which is, you know, it could be there, you know, there is no spe- special relationship between man and, and animal that there, you have to focus on your Midos. It's just a matter of are you going to be an Achazar to them or not. It's more about your actions. It's not as much about your Midos. Um, in fact, the, the Gemara says about Shiloh HaKain that if a, a person says, oh, look at the Rachman that Hashem has on the, on, on the mother bird, so we, we shush him and we, we, because that's, that, that's not the point. And the Mepharshim, Rambam, Ramban, they talk about the aspect of, of how, it's, it's about our, in terms of the, the relationship between you and the animal, it's, it's not so much about the relationship between you and the animal, Shiloh HaKain, but it's about you and your personal Tikkun Hamidos. Um, but, but meaning that it's, it's more about you. It's, it's, not, it's not about the feelings dafka for the animal, which I think is important because when we, when we do talk about, you know, chodesh elul, we're really thinking about our midos, but also, yes, the relationship that we want to rectify and um, to mend between us and our friends and between us and, and Hashem, obviously. It could be to focus on animal activism, so to speak, at that point, might have been, you know, might, might, might very much be a distraction from that. And you think about Shavat, where Shavat is coming right after, you know, Shavat comes in the dead of winter, and we're, you know, we're anticipating Adar, but in the meantime, Shavat would otherwise be a very empty month. And it could be, you know, it was on, it, like, that's why the secrets from Kabbalah regarding the nature of, of, of the Rosh Hashanah for trees had to be divulged at this time. And these are just, you know, some, some thoughts to think about. But again, with everything, you want to always try to find the MS of the Davar. What's the MS of the matter? Where do things come from? What are, what are its origins? What are the roots? And, no pun intended. Um, and, you know, Bez Rashem, you know, we should be able to find the truth and create all the tikkunim that need to be created um, without, um, you know, with, without any um, political or cultural, um, you could say, uh, um, the contamination and really focusing on the MS of the matter. And I think, um, you know, there are, there are a lot of things to think about with this one, but that'll have to suffice for now. So that's all the time we have left for this Real Talk Torah. Keep it real, keep talking, and most importantly, keep the Torah. Thanks for joining us here at the Database.